The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of the Lord. Let me cut a deal with you is a phrase most people are familiar with. If we're honest, the phrase usually stirs some degree of anxiety in us. Since when we hear this offer, we often feel like we are about to be taken for a ride, like when visiting a car dealership, or in my case, when buying a new phone. When someone says, let me cut a deal with you, often our defenses go up lest we be cheated. Because it is always the person in power who says, let me cut a deal with you. They are the ones with the upper hand. It is interesting to note that this phrase, cut a deal, comes from the ancient practice of cutting a covenant. In this ancient ritual, an animal is cut in two, and the one in power passes between the pieces, indicating If I don't honor my word, let it be done to me as was done to this animal, which means the one in power chooses to be vulnerable if they don't keep their promise. We will circle back to how this is illustrated in our scriptures today, but first a few secular examples. March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. It is a holiday celebrated, of course, by Irish people around the world. St. Patty's Day is celebrated in more countries than any other national festival around the world, mostly by the Irish diaspora, that is, Irish that live outside of Ireland. Since the 1800s, more Irish have immigrated than the entire population of the country itself, mostly during the Great Famine in the mid-1800s. Not only does St. Patrick's Day offer a welcome break in Lenten abstinence from alcohol, but it also serves as a reminder of strength in servitude and the power of vulnerability. In 403 AD, St. Patrick was kidnapped from Britain at the age of 16 and taken by raiders to Ireland, where he served as a slave. For six years, Patrick worked as a shepherd, during which time he found God. He eventually escaped, traveled home to Britain, and became a priest. Later, Patrick returned to Ireland and converted the pagan Irish to Christianity. This became the allegory of Patrick driving the snakes out of Ireland, 
the snakes being the pagan religions of Ireland. The festival celebrating the day of his death, March 17th, unites Irish people around the world who have often been persecuted for their nationality. Patrick symbolizes what it means to have been vulnerable as a kidnapped slave, vulnerability as a missionary whose religion opposed the prevailing religions of the land, and a vulnerability as a leader who was eventually beaten, robbed of all of his possessions, and put in chains, all in the name of faith. More than just a reason to drink green beer or eat corned beef and cabbage, St. Patrick represents vulnerability in his status as a foreigner in Ireland, his refusal to accept financial assistance from kings, and his position of living outside the protection of the law. His courage, strength, and defiance are all grounded in vulnerability. In the last several weeks, <clears throat> the world has seen a new iteration of vulnerability. As the war in Ukraine rages on, President Volodymyr Zelensky has shown extraordinary courage. Many leaders in the world have fled for safety during such invasions and upheavals, such as Afghan President Ghani, who last year fled when the Taliban took Kabul, or Alberto Inamoto, former president of Peru, who fled Peru for Japan amid a major scandal involving corruption and human rights abuses, or former Bolivian President Evo Morales, who fled to Mexico City seeking asylum from anti-socialist insurgents. The list is endless, actually. Quite the opposite. Zelensky was offered evacuation to the United States, if you recall, and, and instead said, I need ammunition, not a ride. He stated plainly, our army is here, our civil society is here, we are all here. In the weeks since those brave words, Ukraine continues to be attacked by Russia, yet their leader remains with their people, even knowing that he is enemy target number one. Even today, as Russians bombed a Ukrainian military base only 10 miles from the Polish border, Zelensky remains defiant and unyielding. Here is a president who chooses to be vulnerable with his people when he could have easily used his power to flee, as so many other leaders have. Which brings us to Genesis and back to the idea of cutting a covenant. Just two chapters prior to our reading today, from Genesis, God establishes God's covenant with Abram to make him the father of many nations, that his offspring will be impossible to count like the dust of the earth. Abram is an insecure man, having just entered Egypt and acquired his wealth at the cost of his wife's virtue, whom he passed off to Pharaoh as his sister <clears throat> in order to spare his own life. Anyway, God knows that Abram needs assurance of the covenant previously made between the two of them, hence this very bizarre passage from Genesis when Abram is consumed by doubt and despair. The word of the Lord comes to him in his darkest night and instructs him to gather some animals, cut them in half, and place the pieces opposite one another. Then Abram falls into a dark and terrifying sleep, wondering what he's done with his wife and what he's done with his life. 
And then God appears to Abram in the black darkness as a flaming torch and passes between the two halves of the animals. In cutting this covenant with Abram, God assures him, let me cut a deal with you. I will keep my promise to you to be your God and give you more descendants than stars in the sky. If I don't keep my word, let it be to me as it is to these animals. In this way, God gives up God's power and chooses to be vulnerable. But why in the world would God do this? After all, God is eternal, creator of all things, seen and unseen, all-powerful. God gives up God's power and becomes vulnerable in order to meet the vulnerable ones in the world. And our world is filled with so many vulnerable ones. Clearly, there are the Ukrainians desperately defending their homeland. There are also the Poles, Romanians, Slovakians, Hungarians, Moldovans, urgently and nervously protecting their own borders. There are vulnerable peoples everywhere based on race and orientation and gender identity and economic status, and most recently, the vulnerable population of transgender girls in Iowa banned last week from participating in sports at the K-12 and collegiate levels. There seems to be a particular vulnerability in the young ones in our very midst in our community. Liberty High School suffered a terrible loss last week with the suicide of Owen Skelly. Owen was 15 years old, a tremendous athlete, good student, extremely popular, and a wonderful girlfriend, a loving family, liked by everyone. And yet he was secretly tormented for two years by depression. He took his own life on March 3rd. He is the fourth young person in our school district to commit suicide in the last two years. There very well may be more, but these are the ones I know. Four student suicides in two years, all young men. Here are their names. Nolan Crawford died February 19, 2020. Dylan Salji died March 13th today, last year. Charlie Bates died February 8th, 2022. Owen Skelly died March 3rd, 2022. In his parting letter, Owen wrote that COVID and all of its isolation pushed him over the edge and he had tried so hard for two years to hide his suffering in the days since his death, our home has been filled with young men who knew him, who are haunted by missed signs or signals of their friend's distress. Young ones who don't quite yet know how to grieve, who are embarrassed to cry in public, who don't realize that being vulnerable is in fact tremendously brave and strong. There are so many vulnerable ones in our midst ones who suffer silently and discreetly, as most of us are trained to do, ones sitting next to you in your pew, working next to you in your lab, 
taking an exam next to you in your classroom, spotting weights with you in the weight room, at your very table of friends at a restaurant. We must become vulnerable ourselves in order to identify them, give up whatever pride or ego or power stands in the way, and ask, how are you really doing? Let's talk. I'll borrow some examples from this past week. I know it seems <clears throat> that I refer to my sons often to illustrate gospel and grace, but trust me, if I were to honestly share examples of them being jerks, this sermon would take weeks. But here's what I've observed regarding vulnerability this week. <clears throat> Our grieving Liberty track and field team tra traveled to the Unidome on Tuesday for a meet. Christian ran his favorite event, the 3200, and for the first time in his life came in dead last. He said, Mom, my head wasn't in it today. Sad, yes, but not crushing because he said now he knows what it's like to be in last place. That is what it means to be vulnerable. Jake, my middle boy, knew Owen well, sat next to him in class, lifted weights with him, played football with him. In his grief, he says now he keeps his eyes open to ones who are sad and alone because he doesn't want to lose another friend. This is what it means to be vulnerable. At Owen's funeral, even though the football team was invited up to sit on the stage, Philip, my youngest, chose to stand, offering his place to someone who might be grieving more, which turned out to be the better choice because sitting on the stage was extremely uncomfortable, turns out, but that's not the point. Letting someone else take the stage in your place is what it means to be vulnerable. Time and time again, God chooses vulnerability. God chooses to be on the side of the poor, the outcast, the marginalized, the suffering. In Jesus, God embodies vulnerability by becoming human in order to die for humanity. Jesus comes to embrace the most vulnerable and meet us, not abandon us in our deepest darkest times. Jesus chooses vulnerability on the cross and understands it is where he will die, as he cries out in our gospel today, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, it will be here, won't it? This is where I'm going to die. Jesus likens himself to a mother hen, vulnerable as she gathers her brood under her wings, living in order to protect her young, giving her life to ensure life for her children, in gathering her brood safely under her wings, the mother hen exposes her back and her neck and becomes vulnerable in order to protect her young. The difference between the God whom we worship and other gods is that God gives up power and chooses vulnerability. The crowd shouts this in Luke when Jesus is dying on the cross. He has the power to save others, they say. Let him save himself. But Jesus doesn't save himself and instead dies for the sake of the entire world. Some things then are not accomplished through crushing power 
or a display of ego. Some things are only accomplished with and through vulnerability. Neither repentance nor forgiveness can be accomplished through the flexing of power. Neither friendship nor trust can be accomplished through the flexing of power. Love can never be earned through the flexing of power. So then it seems the best things in life, repentance, forgiveness, friendship, trust, love, are accomplished not with power, but through vulnerability. Having endured violence at the hands of my mother as a small child, I was terrified to have children of my own. I remember the first time all three were screaming at the same time as babies, and my brain automatically defaulted to my childhood. And I looked at my hands, and I considered the power that they hold and the harm that they are capable of. Hands have the power to harm or not. It's why I tattooed my wrist with the Hebrew word tumshal, which means you may. You may harm or you may not choice. And I realized for me, motherhood was not about wielding power as I had experienced, even though I have it. It's about vulnerability. It's about taking the risk to share my entire self with ones I love. Love modeled by God in our reading from Genesis and by Jesus on the cross is the proclamation, I have all the power, but I will lay it down because love is not about power. Jesus forsakes all power and empties his entire self for his beloved creation. No matter who you are, God says to you, let me cut a deal with you. I will take all the power I have and I will set it aside in order to seek you out in your deepest, darkest places. I will crawl into the most terrifying corners of the universe to find you. And when I find you, I will hold you fast and forever. Amen.